The following presentation was recorded at the Buddhist Society of Victoria, Malvern East, Australia. Please visit our website at bsv.net.au. It's very, uh, very inspiring for us monks to give talks and see the lay people. At least for me, it is. I, it's not like I really, really enjoy giving talks, but <laughs> it seems to inspire me. So I put myself into this situation to inspire myself to keep myself practicing, because otherwise, it tends to the practice tends to wane off quite easy. Especially now that I don't have a, I don't be with Ajahn Brahm at the moment. So it's a, I need inspiration. So I, thank you for coming. Thank you for inspiring me. You're helping me tremendously in my practice. So thank you for that. So it looks like there's not too many people here today because it's a, apparently it's a Boxing Day sales. <laughs> Everybody's kind of shopping. So it's the cream of the crop. You put the effort to come to the... Maybe you go shopping afterwards. You start to <laughs> you're waiting until the crowds dissipate. Then you go shopping. I don't know. There's nothing wrong about shopping. I, don't, I just, uh, I, I'm not, um, I just get um, interesting. Um, it was a few years ago we were building the, um, the monk site in Nupri. I was part of the project there as well. And um, Indira, who was part of the project, uh, we were doing it together really. So we had to go and look for the different kind of bricks. You know, you go and look for whatever different um, building materials you use and that that day we had to go to the brickyard and so I came to the city and then um, we had to go to the brickyard and it was my dana time and we had to go to the big shopping center there here it's apparently the biggest one here in Victoria I'm not sure I can't remember the name of it but they um so we went to the food courtyard there and I it was just so overwhelming for me coming from the forest I don't know how you guys do it maybe you're more uh, tough, tougher person than I am, or maybe you're more accused to, um, uh, more used to um, going to the shopping center. But it was such an um, information overload for me, or all the colors and you know different music coming from different stores and smells and wow, it was horrible. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why people call it fun. Go roaming around in shopping center for a whole Boxing Day. That would be pretty much close to hell to me as anything. I'm so much uh, happier staying in here in the, in the city temple or a monastery isn't better for me. It's so nice to stay in the monastery, nice and quiet. To, to go in the shopping center would be <clears throat> not something I would do on my my free day. So maybe you're the same. We're like-minded people, so it's good that you came here. Actually, I'm reminded another story. My mom and dad came to monastery. I, 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 I um, when I was maybe a, my fourth year as a monk, maybe it was earlier. Maybe because they've been twice in Australia. They're not going to come anymore. Their mom said that they're getting a bit too old. We're so, um, uh, so they've been twice in Australia from Finland. So it's a long distance to travel, and they don't speak English. So it's difficult to go through that. Uh, customs and everything so anyways we were in shopping center and um, mom obviously wanted to go buy something for the monastery and for me and we, so we go shopping center in in perth after like a couple hours i was getting a bit agitated and then a couple hours later and i was just mom went let's just that's it i'm like you know like you can talk pretty freely to your mom so i just i was just like look this is enough 
There's only so much I can handle. And she said, oh, aren't you monks going to, aren't you practicing to like compassion and it like, and just having a lot of, um, uh, the word escapes me, having a lot of, um, uh, not compassion, but uh, you are, um, what's the word? Uh, when you have, you are not agitated, you are, anybody help me? Peaceful, calm, you are, you have a lot of um, equanimity. equanimity. Huh? Contentment, that's a good word actually. But yeah, well, all of those words. I'm thinking under this, I will come to me. Anyway, so I said, um, I said, look, mom, it's, there's only a limit um, I can take. Even the monks, we, we don't, we practice, but this, you're taking me to a next level. So if you know, if you want to see how your practice is going, so just go shopping with your mom. But that was my, I can see, I, I saw my practice level at that time. But I'm, I'm thinking of like even highly practiced monks, if they would go with their moms to shopping centers, like you really see where they made, what they made out of. After four hours, you start, your practice starts sort of like slipping, like that's it, enough. Um, yeah, so. I don't know, you, you might be different, but shopping centers don't agree with me. That's, uh, I can see my practice is not good enough. Luckily, I don't have to go. My mom's not coming anymore, so. And now I live in the countryside, so whenever, whenever I go with, stay with mom and dad, we stay in the farm, and it's easy. We don't have to go anywhere. Anyhow, so today's, it's, uh, like I said, it's, um, um, with the Dhamma talk, I didn't really, again, I sort of thought about what should I say. Um, Richard was asking, we were driving here, uh, he was bringing me to the monastery, we had an hour and a half to discuss on the, in the car about all sorts of topics. And he was asking again, like, what am I going to talk about? I said, I don't really know. But I said, look, um, some time ago, there was this young fellow, he was, came, uh, he told me that it would be nice if monks would talk about a little bit of more of the basic stuff, just, you know, one of the basic things in Buddhism. Because quite often we tend to go into this, um, talk about topics which are, they're not maybe so useful, they're not, um, maybe they're not so basic, I don't know. But it's an interesting thing. I don't even know what, what that means, really. I should have asked him. And I, asked, I talked to this about with uh, Ajahn Dissarno last night at the monastery where I said, ah, oh, you know, like this, I, I feel in pain sometimes. I, sometimes we communicate, we give these talks, and I don't know how much you get out of this. Uh, you know, how much do you really remember what we say. It's not that you, we, you know, you have to try to memorize the talks or things. And the, the fact of the matter is that you have to keep going and listen to the Dhamma over and over again. And, um, and that's the reason why I, I've said this two weeks ago when I was here, and uh, it's a, such an important thing for us monks to um, stay with somebody, a uh, good teacher, which we can trust. And we, it's a, proficient in, in Dhamma that because it just drags you along. And that's why it's, it's great that you came today, even though you could have gone to your favorite shopping center on a Boxing Day sales and just go shopping, but you actually put the effort to restrain yourself a little bit and, and come listen boring Dhamma talk. 
because it actually drags you along in the in the path. That's the that's the way we it is. In um, what what happens is you you tend to forget a lot of it, but things remain inside of you. Same for me. It's not like I've I'm an excellent teacher of 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 studying suttas and all that, but because I I've, I've been in this in this beautiful circle for such a long time now and been a monk for 10 years with a good teacher like Ajahn Brahm that I get brainwashed into it and then there's a certain way of things start to happen over time. So if you don't put the effort, if you don't um, lend your ear to the Dhamma, then you don't get dragged along the path. So, but, um, so anyhow, going back to the thing I was going to talk about is that so what, what is basic Buddhist teachings? What are the basics? What was this young fellow asking me? And like I said, I don't know. Unfortunately, I'm, I, don't, I forget now. Five precepts? Yeah. Thank you for, yeah, that's a, exactly, like, I would like to some you know, people to tell me what are the basic things about Buddhism? Five precepts. Okay. Maybe that's what he meant. Could be any. How the, yeah. What? How should any everybody like a lay person practice? So I'm, I'm repeating. So for people to watch it online and all that. So, so five precepts. How should uh, as a lay person? How should you should be practicing? Yeah, that's probably some very basics. Um, in my sorry, four noble truths. Yeah, very very basic. Uh, teaching of Buddha, definitely the core teaching to get the wheel rolling. Yeah. Any other ideas? For me, the straightaway came to mind. I told that in Nisano. It's like, yeah, I think he means like um, Anicca. And I think, you know, like Dukkha and Anatta, the impermanence the, or non reliable and suffering and non-self teachings. And he said, no, that doesn't sound like a basic teaching. It's like, it's so deep. The problem is, like, a lot of these teachings are so deep, then you, we can just give these long talks, and we can... Ajahn Brahmali's now been giving this really... Um, he's done quite a few now, last few years, about these um, basic, basic Buddhist teachings about... Uh, the Eightfold Path and all that. It goes really in depth in those. So if anybody, if you something interests you in those, I would recommend the BSWA website. There is good um, uh, uh, videos there from then. I was teaching part of that, and different monks were teaching, and now he's continue continuing with that. Um, but sometimes they. All of, I think all of these what uh, the examples you gave me. The sila and the you know, and the how to practice, so, yeah, that's definitely good. Um, maybe the uh, what Langdon was saying there, um, uh, the suffering again. It's it's a, I think it's it's very very basic Buddhism. We forget to we tend to forget these things that everything is suffering. We we looking for happiness somewhere and then. So monks and nuns, we need to keep reminding you everything is suffering. Don't don't think you're gonna find somewhere eternal happiness somewhere else. Everything going going with your life is should be going fine. If you're not enlightened until then, you're gonna have those. Remember the basic teaching in Buddhism: we have suffering. That's the basic teaching, dukkha. 
but then we have the another the uh, another um, forget the word another like a needle another thorn on your skin which is the actually the suffering of your mind so there's suffering and then there's the second suffering which you actually it's almost like that disappears the further you get on the path that suffering of the mind you don't have to suffer because of inherent suffering because of the dukkha so we add that thing so they t- they tend to everything we can take it to the so deep level such a deep level that you um everybody tends to forget what are the basic basic teachings of the buddha but sila definitely i think you said there yeah the f- uh, five precepts uh, very important thing what what keeps you in uh, um what why are we teaching these things we're trying to find happiness in buddhism and five precepts are there to um keep give you um happiness in life that's um it's interesting we give like why do we give five precepts every every weekend here why do you take five precepts you take the five precepts because you want to be happy you want to and also you want to give other people the happiness of you keeping the five precepts if you if you have a good mora- morality people tend to like to be with you because they can trust you so that those are the reasons why we give five precepts and we give the gift of um trust worthness uh trust for worthy to others so that's what the one of the basic things why we would keep sila and why do we want to keep um going into your question which was uh, like how does lay you know as a lay person how do you practice well it really starts from the sila obviously bhavana like we say in pali the practice or yeah practice would be a good you know for that uh, um it really starts from there i'm sorry i didn't hear so disciplining yourself the five precepts are guidelines to disciplining yourself um are the guidelines to discipline yourself i don't like the word discipline but i know what you're saying and you know maybe the word you use this um you know has like sort of this double edged sword the disciplining yourself the uh, the five precepts are there to really uh discipline is why i think it's a really not disciplining yourself because it's um in buddhism we don't believe there is self anywhere that's the teaching of anatta uh so how come how are you disciplining yourself it's like almost you're in uh you uh there is some kind of force within you which you can you you can lay upon yourself that i'm disciplining myself and discipline tends to why i don't like it that thing is is quite a lot of us we're not very disciplined i don't know really anybody who's very disciplined person disciplined person for me are people who are highly controlling people and i don't like the idea that we in buddhism that we are controlling or that we learn to be more controlling it's really it's almost dangerous in a sense that if you are very controlling people person 
is really difficult for you to let go. Um, meditation and the practice, going back to the practice, should be deeper and deeper stages of letting go. If you are very per- a person who is a very controlling person, it tends to manifest, if you control yourself, you tend to control the world around you. Happens, uh, you know, you, we know controlling people. It's not like they are at ease with themselves. They are very much in control of themselves and they tend to control the world around them or they try and they try to discipline. Um, that is not really good starting point for you to practice. We should be, um, we should be trying to practice of this kind of easeness of letting go. Disciplining, maybe you didn't mean that, it's just a word you just used, but you didn't mean it in that, that sense. But the five, five precepts should be more of uh, there to guide you or uh, give you that easeness of mind where you don't have to think about back. If you have something like, you always have like, you know, there is that happiness of purity of mind. And then when you go to a quiet place, when, you know, you basically it's your own house these days, you don't go into, into the forest or you don't go into the heap of straw and sit down there. You, you are sitting down on your sofa or your bedroom. Then you feel at ease and then, you, and then the self has easier time of disappearing. Discipline coming from the Christian tradition, sort of like when I was a child, and there tends to be a lot of discipline, you know, um, controlling with fear. In Buddhism, we really need to st- steer away from that. We are trying to control, um, not to control, we are trying to get our mind into um, kind place where it's sort of happy and happier and happier and happier. That's what we're trying to aim. And that's why we keep five precepts, I would say. We're trying to keep five precepts because we want to be happier. And from the happy mind, the happy mind is a calm mind. So I would say that that's, um, that's more like why, how I, I would like to see five precepts being kept. Yeah. By the way, thank you for everybody to. Yeah, I mean, you know, now obviously, uh, keeping five precepts in the word sense, you can live harmoniously in the community. But in the Buddhist point of view, uh, once a venerable Ananda asked Tathagata, Tathagata, what is the benefit of uh, practicing virtue? Hmm. What he said was, as you said, it is uh, you will not have remorse or regret, mm. so that will lead to peace of mind, mm. tranquility of the mind that can be developed further. Mm. That's that it. A, that is the starting point. That's a practice. starting point, and that's really is a for as as lay people, you know, everybody. It's a starting point. So, as monks, we keep five precepts. We keep eight precepts. We keep two hundred fifty-six precepts. Well, we have to keep all of those. And other, you know, it, it's actually a lot of some of those precepts are not in in the monks' vinaya. But I have to obviously we in, we're trying to. If we don't keep five precepts as a monk, then I, well, it's, that's that's a bit too much. Um, but um, so precepts, yeah, they should be there. It's like where you can just feel that you're like I'm at ease. And really, 
why are we doing any of these things? We don't, we don't aim to go into um, Brahmaloka. We don't try to really into aiming to be a stream winner. I know that quite often in Sri Lankan community, there seems to be a big emphasis on, you know, try to get into the stream entry. You don't really know where you're aiming until... Yeah. The problem is, for us to have the right view, which is the starting point in Buddhism, right? What is the you know, right view? We know it. We have the wisdom, sort of. Not even wisdom. We have the knowledge of it. We don't really deeply inside of us, we don't know what the right view is. We, we, we almost like we're stepping in darkness. And then there's, we have to have these guidelines. You know, keep the five precepts, do these, go and meditate, try to be kind, give. Um, all of those things, that they sort of tap you into the middle path and they keep you walking along the eightfold path. But we are really, let's be honest about it, we are walking in darkness. Until you are a stream winner, you don't know where you're going. Your aim is, one minute is right, a second it's you just up in, uh, in your own mind. Your mind just spins out these stories all the time. Your mind is not ever in calm state for long periods of time. Even, the, you know, the coming f into that, in talking about the suttas, the, there's that the king, uh, the Buddha said, went to the king and they were discussing about the thing. It's like how, you know, as a king, you must be really happy. How long can you be happy? And the king was saying that, you know, I can be happy. I can't remember what, what example did the king say. Was it half an hour or something or three hours, you know, max, I can be really happy. But then there's, even as a king, there's things pulling you along and then they reduce your happiness. And the, the basic thing about, you know, is that even the object, whatever the object is, if it doesn't change, your mind changes. The object is there to give you, it gives you a certain type of happiness now. Whether it's your partner or whether it's your mind state. Even the object doesn't change, which your mind state, you know, it cannot be that then. But your mind changes, your perception changes. So you cannot keep that happiness. Because there's, it has to, you have to have the opposite of it. Otherwise... The, the, happen, the happiness just changes. And that's why, you know, we don't really believe in heaven. It is, just cannot happen. There cannot be that kind of place where it's constant happiness. But the Buddha said, okay, well, for you, you can be happy for three hours, he told the king. But for me, I can be happy for days on end. I can be happy for seven days. What is that happiness? It's actually one of the words you, when I didn't remember the word of what happened with my mom in the shopping center. Contentment is one of those things. It's very high happiness. Opaikati, you know, equanimity, sometimes we translate. It's a difficult, what is, like, what? Yeah, what is opaika? What kind of feeling is that? Yeah, but what, have you, have, do you know what it feels like? Yeah, 
you, you, it's neither aversion nor, you know, attachment. All the, we say like, oh, you know, like, oh, we translate it as a equanimity. Upeka is equanimity. What's that? We, we, you know, we talk about Buddhism, these concepts, quite often you hear them all the time. You don't even think, like, yeah, 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 upeka is equanimity. Have you ever experienced, you know, uh, equanimity? Is it happiness? No. For us, what comes to mind is sort of this kind of really dull boredom. It's calmness, but for it doesn't look, it doesn't feel like very high happiness, does it? Does it very? Does it? If you really think about calmness, does it really feel very, very, very high happiness? It feels just sort of like nothing's happening. I want to do something. Maybe I go shopping. That would be maybe happier. No, that have you know we have these. Words which are describing higher and higher and higher levels of happiness. Forget. So that's why Ajahn Brahm sometimes, he says, well, it would be better to translate upeka as a contentment. Just because it might not exactly have the right words, but at least you know what it means. Contentment is really high happiness. That you can relate to. Contentment is that feeling where you, all your work is done, you're going to Christmas break. You know, you go from the office or wherever you work and you leave it behind as like, oh, I don't have to think about it for a couple of weeks. Contentment is that feeling where you're going to summer break, Christmas break when you're in school and you ho- there's no more homework coming for a month three weeks, whatever it is, you're walking away from the school and it's like, that is contentment. There's nothing to do, nowhere to go. I'm just happy being here. Right? That feeling you understand. That is happiness. But to say something like equanimity, happiness... You don't know what it means. All, the problem is, because you, if you haven't had really deep meditations, you know, the, the wise ones who are and who, good meditators, they understand it and then brings them like a bliss. It brings them something which is, actually, it's, you know, it, it's deeper than that. It's the rapture, we have those things, but it's actually... Interesting thing in Buddhism, if we say rapture, for us it's like something bodily feeling, something you feel, you can understand that one as well. But then higher happinesses are actually calmer and calmer states, which is interesting. But if you haven't been there, you don't really know what those kind of happinesses are. Those are the happiness sort of a little bit outside of human realm. And that's why they are in the realms of jhanas and deep meditations. So it's interesting. Please. I think... Uh, it, it works. Yeah, I did hear. Yeah. Buddha was talking more of peace than happiness. But he says peace of mind comes from 
knowing the true nature of happiness and unhappiness. Mm-hmm. Uh, so actually, uh, the peace comes through knowing, knowing, uh, in, a, in a worldly sense, if you're doing something, you know exactly what you're doing, there's, your mind is not uh, quite peaceful. Mm. But in the Buddhist sense, like Buddha, if you know of the world, if you know of the phenomena, how it operates, right. absolute peace. Right. Okay. So you're saying, um, and I, um, the, the Buddha didn't talk about happiness so much. He talked about peace. What is that? Do you know what peace is? Peace is happiness. At least you know what happiness is. As if you say contentment, contentment is a very peaceful state, right? At least in the world, in a, most of us, we know what contentment feels like. It's a very calm state, right? So Buddha was talking about calmness, which is, you know, we say santutta, you're content. You understand that, even if you haven't had really deep meditation. We know what contentment feels like. It feels calm, but it feels like, ah, oh, I can relax. All the work is done. But imagine it goes deeper and deeper and deeper. That's why we, I, you know, it's the synonym for happiness. Basically, that's what it, if I just say, you know, happiness, it doesn't really mean anything. Happiness, happiness, happiness. Your thoughts come to your mind. Your family and, you know, things you want to do. That's happiness, right? Happiness is not to listen Ajamudito's Dhamma talks. You know, you, you'll rather be somewhere else. Your mind goes somewhere. It's looking for something. Fair enough. But so it's hard to pinpoint happiness. You have to give it names, right? And that's what we give. We have these high happinesses. And But if you say we're aiming, uh, you know, the, the meditation, you go into the rapture and then the rapture disappears. And then you go into you know, different stage there. We can use these words and, you know, they're calmer and calmer states, but if they don't have, if I don't give you words about calmness, they they don't have any meaning in your life. You have no idea what we're talking about in Buddhism. We talk about it all the time. Upeka, upeka, equanimity. I heard that word many times. Do I know what it means? No. But if somebody like Ajahn Brahm comes to me and says, like, look, I like to translate Upeka as a, a contentment, then I know what it means. What, what, you know, what are basic things we're talking about in Buddhism? We, these are maybe the basic things, but the, you know, basic practice. Um, okay, so I think I got all of those concepts. What's a, what what's other basic Buddhism? What are basic Buddhism things comes to your mind? Anybody? Paul? What's basic Buddhism? Why do you come to the Buddhist center, you know, Paul? Why on earth are you doing what on earth are you doing here? You should be going shopping with your wife in the boxing day. She's working. Oh she's working. <laughs> well, great. She's working, that's why you're here. 
So you would rather be with your wife in shopping center, but because she's working, you, you just had, you had to come here. There's something about, you know, we, we, it, there is a little bit of that discipline. We feel that, okay, I need to discipline myself a little bit, you know, but, and I, so I go to the temple and, you know, fair enough that we have to do that as well sometimes, but hopefully it's more inspiration than perspiration where we just have to endure these things. Sometimes they, we go into the, into this kind of like, we just have to endure, but okay, let's say with Sri Jonas. Ajahn, I think part of it, um, I mean, there is that aspect of discipline, but some of it is actually habit. We've just right. come into the habit of coming here to Absolutely. the PSV That's on a, a Sunday. Yep. So at the start of it, it might have been some Inspiring. discipline. Yep. Would, um, but Inspiring yeah. in, the, in the right in the beginning. Yeah. And then, yeah. But now it's just... Just a habit. Just a habit. Like there was an opportunity to go shopping this, this morning, but yeah. no thanks. I can't be bothered. Yeah, that's most likely. I would think a lot of people are just like, oh, I just can't be bothered of going shopping. I just go to the temple instead. <laughs> Social side, yeah. Yeah. Well, that's the thing. And it's actually, you know, social side. And then it's like, okay, do I go shopping? Uh, I'm bored of staying home. I just go on to the temple. At least I can, you know, like listen to something and, the, you know, half an hour goes by and I can talk to my friends and all that. Nothing wrong about that. It's good. And the, but the, going back to the basic teachings, like how do we keep this thing that is actually interesting? I struggle with that all the time, to be honest. Not all the time. I struggle with it where the, um, where the practice just goes flat. And sometimes people ask, why monks this rope? A lot of monks this rope, right? I've seen a lot of monks next to me disappear not i don't think it's because of me hopefully but a lot of monks this this rope over the 10 years i've been a monk a lot of monks have left come and go and they're very inspired in the beginning and they were like going really like, gano and they were like oh yeah yeah and they know so much so much about buddhism to be to begin with and then they just sort of fade away and it's actually dangerous sometimes you so why do monks this rope it's quite often that you can see that the monks you go into this plateau where nothing's really happening you go on you know have your dana you eat you go on back and you just sit there do it the next day again you wake up you practice you go and eat you do a little work you go back to your heart nothing's happening what kind of practice is that is that equanimity well that's that's equanimity i'll tell you that's equanimity of dullness a lot of practices, your mind just goes dull. A lot of things, it's like, it's just a habit, like you said. I'll just go to the temple. Is it really inspiring? Yeah, you know, you go and talk to your friends afterwards. You go, yeah, okay, afternoon's coming. I have a cup of coffee and I go on. Yeah, right. You went to temple. How was the Dhamma talk? Yeah, I don't remember anything of it. That's what happens. So it's a habit you come here. It's a good habit. But discipline yourself in that sense that, yeah, I could be just dulling out home, watching telly, just eating a little bit more, you know, just lounging, not doing really anything. But discipline yourself that, no, I need to go to the temple. It's a good discipline. Even if, the, you know, that 
the, the teacher is not super inspiring today. It's Mudito again. So just say, look, I need to go there. Just at least I, I hear something that keeps me going on the path. It's slightly inspiring. Obviously, when there's somebody like Ajahn Brahm, everybody flocks to the monastery. We have, we every seat is full here because we know, everybody knows he's a good teacher. Everybody wants to listen to his talks, his jokes and his talks. But you need to put that into your mind. Like, no, okay, it's Sunday. I go and listen to the Dhamma talk. It's a good habit and it's a good good way to discipline yourself. But how do you keep that practice as the basic practice where it just goes dull, right? And it's that dullness is actually, is a, there's a lot of negativity in it. And again, that's why a lot of monks leave because you go into the negative spiral of you just sitting there and you're just dulling out. The Buddhism, the the practice should be very, very, that kind of calm mindset. We were, we were trying to find the synonyms here. We talked about the peace and, you know, whether it's happiness and peace, all those things. It should be um, calmer and calmer states, which are more and more inspiring. Why does somebody like uh, stream entry get deep into deep meditations very easy? Why does somebody who even experienced, who has experienced deep meditation, really deep meditations like jhanas, get really easy into jhanas? Why does somebody who even tipped their toe into nimitta, which is the nimitta is that kind of <clears throat> the bright light comes to you, the mind is just, you don't, you do, your body is pretty much disappear, you're just one with the light. How come? you get easier into nimittas once you get there once. Because it's so inspiring. They say that somebody who gets into jhanas just thinks about jhanas, and their mind, that idea of that, the memory of that, it's so inspiring, it's so blissful, that the mind just goes there automatically. How come you, if you have nimitta, even once, it might be actually quite scary in the beginning because it sort of happens a bit all of a sudden when you're not used to it until you get used to this kind of strong, strong happiness, strong, strong calmness. It's because it's so, it's so desirable. It's something which is, inspires your mind. But to get there, how do you inspire your mind? I would be, I would say I would be fairly accurate that most of you are just dulling out when you meditate. You are daydreaming. I would say most monks are doing the same until you get into that positive feedback loop where it starts feeding into itself and you get more and more inspired of the path. So you need, and how do you get there? Discipline yourself a little bit. Come to the temple. Keep your five precepts. Keep your sila well. That you don't. Have, you have the basic happiness coming from there. Um, try to find something which inspires you. 
whether it's Ajahn Brahm's Dhamma talks, whether it's my Dhamma talks once in a while, whether it's just feeling you, that you, you've done enough, you know, you've done the practice over the years, you feel like I just want to sit down and you just sit down for five minutes and that inspires you. Just keep at it, keep at it. Otherwise we, you drift off or otherwise you keep doing it out of habit. And it, it really doesn't take you that far, that, that, that kind of habit. If you, don't, if you don't look at it clearly enough. Sometimes I think we just sit there. Hopefully you, you know, a lot of you try to meditate a little bit. Just sit down, have a, try to have a calm down by yourself. But if you're not inquisitive, that's one thing actually which is reminded me yesterday that we had a Burmese teacher coming to um, Janakov and it's interesting he, he like he gave a different spin on it as well and he said look you have to be um, interested what's happening in your mind quite often we're not very interested what's in your in, in our own minds right I'm at least I'm not very interested about my own mind after a while it just sort of I just daydream. And it's not super interesting, but it's just a habit. But if you're interested about that, like really like look at it. Ajahn Brahm has the simile of looking at like a like a movie screen. The beam is somewhere else, but and it's, there's nothing real about it. It's been the you know, the big light bulb is in the back and it's been uh reflected on the screen. And quite often we just get sucked into that, into the, in the story of our lives. But what if you are interested? What if you would be, actually just look at it for a while. What's my mind? It's, it doesn't make it, maybe it doesn't make it more interesting, but at least you see it a bit more have a little bit of distance from that. You create a tiny bit of a distance to the gap between my mind, your story, and the person who's the, or, uh, you know, the onlooker. So if you have, if you can create a tiny bit of a distance to that, it's actually it's interesting. You don't buy into the story, and actually the mind starts calming down. So try to have a little bit of interest and hopefully that's in, that's inspiring for you when you can you know get into those and then even if you can do it once then you you have the memory even if you if you can get into the stage where your body starts disappearing when you're meditating and the breath starts appearing a lot of a lot of times we teach Breath meditation, right? And quite often your mind doesn't actually leap to that breath. It doesn't stay there. It's too subtle of an object. But if you get to that point, there's actually, it's quite exciting. It's quite a happy state. And that's why Ajahn Brahm calls it the... Um, uh, the happy breath. You start breathe. You almost like you breathe through this happiness inside of you. It becomes like a silk. It becomes something like very smooth. It becomes 
yeah, it becomes like happiness. It becomes like, wow, I'm seeing the breath first time. It's amazing. And actually that memory never leaves you. But I, I tell you, it's quite a deep, deep, um, deep place already to get into that place where the, the breath is just there. It just appears and it just stays there. Because, and again, it's, it's quite a, if you experience, you know, it's, it's a very pleasurable state to be in. There's so much contentment, synonym for happiness. There's so much happiness there. It's just so, oh, finally, I can just relax. So that's what we're aiming. We're aiming to just sort of fade away, disappear more and more. Because the the mind, the screen out there and on that on that screen over there, it's not very inspiring. It's it's sort of dulling out all a lot of times. It's you're buying into that story and it's I think that's why children sometimes they seem to be happier. They don't have this kind of burden what we have as an adult where we buy into that story of ours. That's what I feel sometimes I feel why are children happier? They don't have so many stories out there. They can actually see the world more like a blank canvas as us. We adults we have the curse of um we have the blessing of, you know, understanding it more. But we have the curse for us is that we we're adding the story into it. So all the time you when you see the world, you're looking looking through the it on that screen of yours and you're giving it meanings all the time. It's a bit of a curse, unfortunately, but uh, so try to have a little distance. Try to have interest what's happening there on the on the screen of yours. And then if you have a little bit of time, if you if you're inspired, if you just feel like I just want to relax for a while, then you can have distance to you and that screen of yours. Anything else? What's basic Buddhism? We're trying to talk about basic Buddhism. Arjan, I think mm. it depends on who is asking the question as well. If it's from someone. Um, who's a Western background? Yeah, I think um, often that question is in terms of how is it different to other religions. Like, what, what's basic about what? What is it that you, as Buddhists, believe? Or you right. know, and and one of the things, obviously, there's no God, and there is this idea that we can reach a state of enlightenment, which is not 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 a very, I think, um, common idea in other practices. And so, I think just the very fact that there is this destination that you're working towards in this life mm. supposedly mm. or future life that's that's one of the sort of the key basic ideas right as opposed to just live this life as well as you can and then hopefully there's a reward after you die yeah the problem is this yeah hopefully there will be reward hmm unfortunately no well i mean okay there, sure there is a reward in the sense that hopefully you won't be there anymore so that's the reward, highest reward. You will disappear. What kind of reward is that? Um, yes, uh, it's actually interesting. I gave the the last Dhamma talk. I was here two weeks ago, and I, I sent the link to my uncle who speaks English, and then he was playing it, and my mom was 
she couldn't understand. So she said, I, so I called her a couple of times afterwards and she goes, I wish you could like give a half of the Dhamma talk and finish. I said like, how's that going to work, mom? But it's like, I think my audience is already disappearing. I think most would leave. But it's true. Sometimes I'm in pain of trying to um, explain this uh, thing, what we are doing to somebody like my mom. And not that, you know, mom is very uh, Christian, but there is that, there is, uh, most people have, even if you're Buddhist, there is a strong idea of self inside of you. And there's a strong, from the sense of self, the there becomes this idea that there must be something out there or we are doing something, we are embedding, making ourselves better. Even if the, the idea of God comes there, like God is helping you or the angels are you know, looking over you or your Uncle Harry, I don't know. There is there is that strong idea there. And um, obviously in Buddhism as well, we have different realms. And I, I do strongly believe these days that, okay, sure, we have different, different realms where you can born depending on your mind state. But um, I think I forget the question now. So the question was, can you summarize it? What's the question? It was about whether... Um, that was more just... Well, the... How are we different from other religions? Okay, so summarizing in that. So, okay, so today is Boxing Day, and I have no idea what it means. Boxing doesn't mean boxing, apparently. It means giving to your servants or something, somebody told me. Um, how are we different from Christianity? That's the only really religion I know. And, um, and like I said, Christianity is a strong idea that there is somebody out there who is looking after you as long as you worship them, Slightly joke, okay. You and but um, that and they they punish you if you don't, and they don't like you to be worshiping other gods. Seems to be there. They, I, I think the Christian God is very jealous God, and um, so they're not very happy if you worship other gods. And I remember I ordained as a monk, and uh, I've talked to one of my fellow monks. I said, Look, I. I, not that I intellectually really believe in God, you know, like, a, and, um, but I've been, su there's a, such a strong uh, background where I come from that there is that kind of fear of God embedded in me. And I've, I wanted to reject it, but there is a, there's a like kind of fear in the background, like, yeah, what if? <laughs> what if? <laughs> God will punish you. And it's like, I, I come from, where I come from, that I remember there was on top of the church where I studied, there was like the, the, the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. So it's like you're afraid of the God. So it's, like it's been in, distilled in me, the fear of God. And, the, and the, the really nice thing what the monks told me, that look, if you have a sense of self, you can have, you will have idea of God. It comes to you very easily. You, as long as you have that idea that there is actually something within me, there is a soul, there is a even mind, 
there is you are something okay you understand your body is made out of different things you can take your you know some parts out and you'll, you'll be still there but what if if what if your mind is made out the same way what if your mind mind is not what if in buddhism we teach you mind is made out of different things there is no one entity of mind there is no soul but for you to see it again you have to have deep meditative experience to see that the mind disappears certain things disappear they come like they go in a sequence and the only thing only way for you to see it is you reflect afterwards something disappeared and now you look at it what disappeared and you can see oh whatever the, you know however the mind disappeared and you see that disappeared and uh, you know the let's say the perception was still you still perceived but there was no will for example and you see that the mind is made out of different things and you can see that the mind is influenced by the world all the time you can see that the mind is not there is no like mind somewhere inside of you next to the heart there's a little me there soul eternal self if you have that idea it's very easy easy to believe in uh, external gods deities which looking over you the deities might be there as well but they are mind you know they're made out of same similar ways in buddhism we say we say, you know talk about devas and all the time or well, we talk about past relatives it's not like there are there is kind of like a soul being there either that there is there are some kind of beings which exist are eternal or there is a self there even your mind mind made beings the devatas are made out of different things their mind is made out obviously they don't have a body maybe or they don't have a body but they still it's not like there's a like some kind of soul entity there they have a will like us deities devas they have a will they want to appear they want to not disappear like the buddha said it's interesting uh, uh, anicca um non like everything is sort of non non permanent let's say if you translate that way anicca i remember one story about buddha was talking to, we he talked with the devas and he said everything is anicca everything is impermanent and the hairs on the back of the the devas rose up they were like how can you tell us that devas supposed to appear uh, you know uh, exist forever even the highest god in buddhism we say okay there there might be god maybe there's somebody who appears first into this universe but even they will disappear nothing is permanent even they don't have a like a permanent self anywhere like i said if the screen is constantly same it's not changing it disappears if your screen is constantly same you meditate deep and deep if the on the screen if, on on your mind if it doesn't change 
the screen shuts down. You are there. There's nothing happening on the screen. What's left? There's something there, but you're not there. But how are we different from other religions? Well, you look, you absolutely cannot have God, eternal gods or those, those kind of things which are there if there's not even self. Even their reality is suffering. Even their reality is constantly changing. But we have a lot of the same things. We, uh, we talked about the sila earlier, basic practice, why we keep five precepts, why we keep sila. All of the other religions teach that, as far as I know. There's no... I guess if you're satanistic, you're the opposite. But <laughs> this, they, they're sort of not in vogue at the moment. They come and go. But um, uh, there is the, in Buddhist time, there were like all these different ideas, you, how you live your life. And some were very hedonistic, say, look, there's only one life. You can do whatever. It doesn't affect you. You can do... You know, you don't have to be sorry about anything because we all, you can kill somebody and it's nothing lost, nothing gained. They died, I will die later. It's just the life, when life ends, that's it. It's really, it's, I don't know if any can really honestly can believe that. There's a lot of people, uh, atheists these days, they don't believe God either, but they still want to live ethically. Because it brings them happiness, right? It's it's nice to also giving and all those things. We, even if you're like the most hardened atheist, you still want to give. You you know you give blood, you donate blood, and you you want to. It's even if it's Christmas time, you don't believe in Christianity, you want to give a gift because it just brings happiness, and you know that's that's what we do. What difference from Buddhism? Buddhism from that? What's the point of being good? Why are we teaching it? It's not like you're going to heaven. Perhaps you do. It's just we teaching you so you can disappear. That's the bottom line of it. Self is suffering. It is. The only thing you why you keep your precepts, why you give, why you're a good person, why you're helping others, is just so you can disappear. That's happiness actually. But it's calmness. It's happiness and it's calmness. It's the same word. So are we different from others? We don't really... try to get something out of this. We're trying to get lost. That's our goal. Any other questions? People looking their watches. Is there anything online? Let me do one online and then we go back. Thank you, Ajahn. Yeah, we do have a couple of questions online. Let's do one and then we have one from the R. All right, I'll do one. By the way, anybody, if you want to leave your shopping, uh, please go. That's fine. If you really feel bored, it's like, ah, oh, it's fine. Yeah. Um, all right, so first question. Can the knowledge that we are really in the dark about things be a form of the contentment and relief of contentment that you explained? 
Thank you for a very profound teaching. Can the knowledge of that we are in darkness be a, in our form of peace? Is that okay? No. The problem is you think it's happiness. A lot of things we do, we think uh, we're doing it because we are basically, it doesn't really, you don't even really think you're, it's making you happy. You are basically, your knee-jerk reaction is that you're avoiding suffering. That's how we behave in, in the world, right? That's why whatever you do, you constantly changing something because you're avoiding the suffering. The screen starts to, you know, it stays the same. You want to do something that it changes because that's actually become suffering. The happiness disappears and suffering appears. Um, we have um, in uh, one of the stories in... in um, Terigata, the enlightened nun stories, where the, the Mar goes to the nun and says, and it, like he um, says, it basically says like, who's there? Who's, who's? I think it was Suvira, was it? Suvira? I can't remember the nun's name. But it says, you know, who is there? Why? Who is doing this? And he says, why, Mar? Why do you think there's somebody there? That's a wrong perception of yours. He said, she said, only suffering disappearing and suffering arising. That's the only thing what's left here. She was enlightened nun. There's only suffering disappearing, suffering appearing. That's your life as well. You just don't see it. Right? If you would, well, then you're on the path. But the really how you you know if you if if that darkness if you un if what's that saying if you don't know something you know that's happiness ignorance is a bliss is ignorance bliss well it sounds like it doesn't it it's that you know it's ignorance is actually it's a lot of suffering you don't know it's suffering but it's actually you're just in this suffering where you're just avoiding suffering all the time. But you you go from you're stepping from suffering, you're going to another suffering. You're stepping a suffering, you know that suffering now. Then you do something else, that's suffering again. Ignorance is is the opposite. Ignorance is actually a lot of suffering. You just don't know it's suffering. You interpret that as happiness. So if you keep on the path, hopefully you realize that, and then that's that. That is the only happiness we have, or that is the actual happiness, and that's why that's why we can say Buddhism is actually path towards happiness. Okay, now we. Yeah, just a, what, what something that you said was very very good and very very good. When you said that, as long as you have a view of self, you feel that there's something out there more powerful. That's, that's true, because um, only when you become a stream enterer yeah. at that stage, you really don't believe in anything outside. Uh, with all those four factors, you disappear. Until then, there is some feeling there's something out there. You, you may call it a god or god or gods, gods, but still you feel there's something out there mm. that might be a little helpful to you or this and that. 
So that only disappears when you become a stream enterer. Uh, other thing is uh, about inspiration. One can get inspired by listening or seeing things. For me, the inspiration comes by looking inside, within, and uh, which I get when I come and listen to talks like this. So at the same time, I look within myself. And then when you look within, then you, what is improves is your knowing, not the knowledge, the knowing capacity. That is what is giving me the inspiration to come back and listen to, to, to Temple and uh, listen to Dhamma talks. Yeah. Well, that's it. I, um, I understand that feeling, really. I mean, quite often the, the thing in the monastery, because we have this very, quite a rigid schedule, where like there's a Dhamma talk every week in a certain time. And it's quite often you don't really, not quite often, sometimes you feel that you're just like, I don't want to go and listen to another Dhamma talk. But the, the knowledge of that you gain something it's, it keeps you like, yeah, I, I should be doing that. And it, I should be doing that because it's, we, we have uh, a little bit of faith. It, it's not confidence yet. There is the sadha is, is still as a faith. You can translate that sadha then as a faith, not confidence. The faith is there that we are doing something which is good. And then in impairs us, makes us, you know, nice person, and it, this, it, the suffering it relieves the suffering in ourselves. And um, yeah, so they, that's that's that is a good inspiration. Have a have a little bit of uh, faith, and hopefully, it turns into confidence when you can start seeing things in your own mind. Okay, one more in online. Thank you, Ajahn. Um, I believe we just have one more question from online. Um, Ajahn, please clarify the basic teachings of the Buddha. Um, <laughs> metta, Sila, Bhavana, correct? Metta, Sila, Bhavana. Okay. Well, that's, uh, I mean, that's a really nice, you know, thing to practice uh, loving kindness. Um, uh, so, if, if with the Metta, Sila, Bhavana, that's an interesting, uh, why would they ask in that? Uh, order, but the to you know the so the these concepts in Pali. Okay, so metta means the loving kindness. Obviously, all of us we we know that. Sila is the basic. That would be the precepts or having that kind of kindness in heart. Bhavana means practice. So how do we put those things together? Um, I think I, I discussed about it, but going a little bit back into that. So if you have. If you have loving kindness in your heart, if you have metta in your heart, the sila, your goodness follows very automatically. Imagine if you have a kind heart, whatever, however you behave in the world becomes very automatic. You give, you don't, um, the gift you give comes out of kindness of your heart. It doesn't come from a place of you want to give something to get something in return. Whenever you're helping somebody, it comes from you know, a place of you want to help them, really help them just from the kindness of your heart. You don't expect them to change, for example. You don't, you know, it comes from that kind of place. 
So the and the, so the sila is empowered by your kindness of your heart. There was a, for example, there was a one monk who said uh, in a Buddhist time, and he said, um, "Look, I, I can't remember the parimokkha. It's so many rules." And the Buddha said, "Look, you don't have to, as long as whatever you do comes from a place of kindness. It's good enough. That's the only thing you have to remember: goodness of heart, kindness. Whatever you do in life, if you do it out of kindness." And remember, it has to go towards yourself. Ajahn Nisarano, I heard it first from him during the Dhamma talks from here. He said, if you don't have money in the bank, you cannot give. Right? Don't go into too much in debt. Meta towards yourself. Have more, 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 more money in your bank. The more money you have in the bank, you just give automatically because you have it there. So look at your own mind. Have kindness, meta towards your own self first. Um, don't go into debt. Don't give and give and give. If you don't have kindness in your heart, uh, the bhavana. I mean, it all ties really nicely together, actually. That with the with the practice as a the bhavana, it, you can say that is you can um, have a, like a meditation practice bhavana. Imagine if you have a very kind heart. You have mind which is elated from your keeping your preset, uh, having a kindness in your heart, let's say sila in that way. Imagine if you sit down and you have mind which is full of loving kindness, which is kind towards yourself, kind towards the thoughts in your own mind, kind towards your will, kind towards your perceptions, having metta. It's so easy to sit down. Really, it's a really is a basic practice. That's why we actually always, always. That's why we chant the metta sutta. That's why it's been selected as a you know we chant all the time because we're trying to practice kindness because the self disappears, the metta, the kindness. That's that feeling is just there, and then you have loving kindness toward your breath, and the breath stays with you. All of those, whatever those things, you can tie them together. But. Actually, it's a good good end point here. Have kindness towards your own self. Have metta towards your mind. And everything else will follow. It's one promise I can make. Okay, very good. Have a good New Year. And it was a pleasure to be here with you again. Thank you so much. So good.